Exodus 35. Last week we looked at the first 15 verses. Now we're going to get some more points out of those 15 verses and complete the whole chapter. So let us stand out of reverence for the reading of the Word of God, and we will read the entire chapter. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and live there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household, And to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had, and the rings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was near Shechem. As they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities, which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the oak. It was called Alon Bakuth, the tree of grief. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Pandanaram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place which he had, where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a libation on it, and he poured oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. And it came about when she was in severe labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for now you have another son. And it came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her grave, that is, the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it came about, while Israel was dwelling in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Now there were twelve sons of Jacob, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, then Simeon and Levi, and Judah, and Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maid, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Pandanaram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, 
where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, an old man of ripe age. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. You may be seated. One thing we've learned from the book of Genesis over and over and over is that the gospel did not begin with the New Testament. You have churches that call themselves New Testament churches. They have signs outside outside the door, the name of the church, and then it says, a New Testament church. We are not a New Testament church. We're a Bible church. And we emphasize that because the gospel did not just begin 2,000 years ago. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been the same and has been operative in the earth since the beginning of the human race. There's always been only one way to be saved. Whether we're talking about last year, whether we're talking about the days of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, or whether we're talking about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, there's only one way to be saved, one way to have your sins forgiven, one way to be accepted with God, There's only one gospel. There has always been but one gospel, and there will be no other but that one gospel. And that gospel is recorded here in chapter 35. But it's recorded over and over in the book of Genesis. All the way back to Genesis 12, particularly, where God entered into a covenant with Abraham and then started making great covenant uh, promises to him. And then he repeated them frequently to Abraham. And then Isaac, when he was born and took his place in the covenantal family, over and over God would reiterate to him the gospel, the same gospel he told Abraham. And then with Jacob, over and over to this very day in Genesis 35, God would preach the gospel to Jacob, and it's the same gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, let's uh, look at this chapter. Whenever whenever, uh, Jacob suffered tragedy or death or heartbreak or discouragement, there was one way by which he was consoled. And that is God came to him and preached the gospel to him spoke his word to him. And that spoken word always comforted Jacob's heart, no matter how terrible things had been. Now his wife has died. His old caregiver has died. His oldest son has just committed incest with his concubine. Uh, Dinah was raped. His two other sons, Simeon and Levi, to show their unrestrained anger for the violation of Dinah, killed every man in in the city of Shechem with the sword. Uh, Jacob cheated his brother, felt guilty about that. His brother came to him with 400 men. Jacob assumed that was to kill him. So Jacob's life hadn't been easy. It hadn't been fun. It hadn't been a happy life. It was full of tragedy and difficulties. And every time there was some tragedy, some death, some difficulty in his life, he was always comforted by the Word of God. So you remember that as your life goes on. We'll face Times when loved ones have died. We'll face difficulties and hardships. There will be pain. Say, well, Joe, I haven't had much of that yet. 
Just wait. You will. And the one source of comfort is for you to go to the Word of God. You've heard people say the time heals all wounds. No, it does not. But God's Word heals all wounds. And God's Word gives us a strength to face life that nothing else will and nothing else can. And so that's what we see in Jacob here. Some sad things that just happened to him recently. So God comes to him and reiterates the promises of the covenant that he's given to him and his father and his grandfather. So look at this chapter again. Look at chapter 35. We preached on this chapter last week. So if you want a complete study of this first 15 verses, go back and listen to last Sunday's sermon. But here's the promises God made Jacob. And this is right on the heels of his beloved nurse dying, Deborah. And God appeared to Jacob in verse 9. And God said to him, remember now that the one distinctive of the God of the Bible is he talks. That he uses a language that is meaningful to him as well as to us. That he speaks in a language we can understand. He uses verbs and adverbs and adjectives and subjects and predicates, nouns. He uses all those things. And when we read some of these things, we think we're so smart because we understand them. Well, the average person that goes to church, he's not quite as smart as us Calvinists. I mean, these Arminians, they, they, they think they know a lot, but boy, we Calvinists got it down pat. I want you to understand that whenever God talks to you, he uses baby talk. Whenever God speaks to you in the scriptures, he, he uses dad, dad, mama. He uses talk that he would use to a baby because that's all we can understand. He condescends to where we are and uses the most simple of language. And you know, that's the great distinctive of, the Christian, of Christianity. That makes it different than all other religions. In all other religions, man climbs to God. Man does things to earn God's favor. Christianity is the only religion where God condescends to man and speaks to man. And so here he's speaking to Jacob, and notice what he says to comfort his heart. We talked about this last week, but I want to mention this one thing again. Verse 10, God said to him, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. Now God's already changed his name. God has already, we learned earlier, changed Jacob's name to Israel. The word Jacob means cheater. The word Israel means prince with God, somebody who avails with God. So God changed Jacob's character and he gave testimony to the fact that he changed Jacob's character. He changed his name to Israel. It also signifies other things as well. God told Adam to, change, to give animals names. And that is to imply that Adam had dominion over all the animals. But the animals are in submission to him. God gave Jacob a name. To emphasize, Jacob, you're an important guy. You are head of a big family. But I gave you a name. You are accountable to me. To live in submission to me. For your life. 
And he said in verse 11, and I'm going to tell you my name. I gave you a name to show that I am in control over you and I'm your sovereignty. And I'm not going to let you give me a name because you have absolutely no control over me. I give myself a name. Verse 11, God said to him, I am God Almighty. That was the most common name for God used by the patriarchs in the beginning of the human race. Yeah, you, the Hebrew word is El Shaddai. I think there's a song about El Shaddai. But anyway, the word El Shaddai means the all-sufficient one, the almighty one, the one who creates everything by his omnipotent power. God says, with all these tra- tra- tragedies and heartaches you're having, Jacob, don't forget who I am. Don't forget who you are. You're Israel. You're not the same man you used to be. But don't forget who I am. And in all these difficulties and deaths, I'm still in control of your life. So let me remind you of my promise to you. And here we go again for what, the 10th or 15th time? In verse 11, number one, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I'll give it to you. And I'll give the land to your seed after you as well. So over and over again, God has made these promises. I'm your God. I'm going to give you a seed. That seed eventually will be more numerous than stars in the sky. That seed will bring the blessings of salvation upon all the nations of the earth. And I will give the entire land of earth to that seed to live and to develop a civilization for my glory. That is the unchangeable gospel. That's the gospel of the New Testament. That's the gospel of the Old Testament. There is no other gospel than the gospel that says from God, I am your God. You're my people. I'll give you a seed that will be more numerous than the stars of the sky. That seed is going to be bring the blessings of salvation to all the families and nations of the earth. And to that seed, I will give the land, the earth before and after the new heavens and the new earth. Now, I want to go to a chapter that we've about worn out. But we need to keep going back to it so that you can see this is not simply my interpretation. But this is the New Testament's interpretation of these promises that God gave to the patriarchs. So turn to Galatians 3 again. I keep going back to it over and over and over because it explains these great promises that God gave Adam and uh, that gave Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And as we look at this chapter, you will see that these great promises of the Old Testament are the gospel. If you don't believe the gospel, you won't be saved. Hear me? If you don't believe the gospel, you won't be saved. And there's only one gospel. And that gospel is gospel you find from Genesis to Revelation. Paul said, you remember in Galatians, the first chapter? He said, if anybody preaches unto you a different gospel than I preach unto you, let him be cursed. Church didn't make up the gospel. Paul didn't make up the gospel. God is the one who gave us the gospel all the way back to the beginning of time. Now, let's look at some of these things. All right, God told Abraham that he was going to give him a seed. Who's that seed? Is it the Hebrew people? The Jewish people? That's the way you have many people today understand it. They understand it in a racist way that the seed is the Jews. 
And if you uh, think the seed is the Jews, you're racist. And there is no racism in the gospel. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. So who is this seed? Well, let's look here. Who's the seed of Abraham? Verse 7 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So when God talks about the seed of Abraham or the gods of, uh, the sons of Abraham back in the Genesis, he's talking about all of those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Everybody that believes in Christ the way Abraham did has Abraham as their father. Verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed that is Christ. So preeminently, the seed of Abraham is Christ. That's why you should love to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written that we might know Christ better. And he is the promised seed of Abraham par excellence. And all those who belong to him by faith are also a part of that seed. And so the gospel is, God's going to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a seed. That seed, preeminently, Jesus Christ. Secondarily, all those who believe in Christ regardless of ethnic origin. Look down at chapter at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the next verse is the important one. And if you belong to Christ... And you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. So it doesn't matter what your ethnic or racial roots are. It does not matter whether you're uh, blood kin to Abraham or not. You are a seed of Abraham and heir to all of the promises of God in the Old Testament. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the gospel from the beginning of time. And it will be the only gospel till the end of time. So don't let anybody fool you. The seed of Abraham is Christ. And all those who belong to him by faith, regardless of ethnic origin. And the number of the seed of Abraham, God has told us over and over in the book of Genesis, will be greater than the sand of the beach of the stars of the sky. I think what that means is there'll be more people in heaven than there will be in hell. That the number of Christians will not just be a small little group of people, but a massive number. Too great for man to account. All right, so now we see that all those promises have to do with Christ. What's this land thing? God promised that he's going to give the seed of Abraham a land. Well, most people limit that to the land of Palestine, the land of Canaan, but it's something far bigger and far richer. In fact, even in the Old Testament, that land is universalized to include the whole earth. Turn uh, quickly with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2. 
And you can go through all the Psalms and see this emphasis. The book of Psalms particularly universalized the Abrahamic promises. And in Psalm 2, which is Messianic, read these words. Why are the nations in an uproar and the kings, peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. By the way, the word anointed there in Greek is Christ. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king, Jesus, upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son, today have I, have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will surely give the land of Palestine to you as your inheritance. Anybody have that translation? Nope. In the Old Testament, God told his people the land of Palestine was their inheritance. And now in the Psalms, he says to Jesus, ask of me and I'll give you all the nations of the world as your inheritance. So the land promise now is extended to all the nations of the world. And in fact, in Romans 4.13, Abraham is called the heir of the world. So what is this land promise? The earth. Creation and recreation. God has given the earth to you to use all of its resources and energies to create homes and families and businesses and civilization that will glorify God. And then when Christ comes back and we have a perfected new heavens and new earth, you get that too. That's the land promise. One last thing now about these promises. It says every family on the earth will be blessed. With what? Galatians 3 even tells us what those blessings are that the seed of Abraham is going to bring upon all the nations of the earth. Look at verse, let's start up with verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that all would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations shall be blessed in thee. So when he said, all the nations shall be blessed in you, he was promising that justification by faith would come to all the families and nations of the world. What's justification by faith? That's when God declares you not guilty and adopts you into his family moment you receive Christ as, as your Savior. So the promise in Galatians is, in Genesis, that God's going to bring salvation, justification by faith to all of the nations of the world. That's not all. Verse 13 and 14. Christ, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So Paul is saying here that when God promises to Jacob, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through your seed. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the blessings of justification by faith and the saving gift of the Holy Spirit that you receive for, through faith. That is the gospel. Who tell your friends what, what the gospel is? It has been so truncated today. The gospel is, people say, if you believe in Jesus, 
He'll save you from hell when you die. Praise the Lord, that is true. But that's just a part of it. You receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. God becomes your God and you become his people. You receive all the blessings of Christ's redemptive work. You are the sons and daughters of God and therefore heirs of all the promises of God, including this earth, before and after the second coming. And through Christ and you, every nation on the face of the earth will be blessed with full salvation. Now let me ask you a question. Do you believe the gospel? Not do you believe the gospel of modern-day evangelicalism. But do you believe the gospel that God preached to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you believe that that's the only gospel that will save sinners from their sins? Do you believe that that's the only gospel that will bring people into the family of God? Then tell people. People come to you with their cheap and phony counterfeit gospels. Tell them those won't save you. Those won't get you to God. I'll tell you the one gospel that will save you and change your life forever. And you share them with the gospel from God, about God, and not the creation of the modern church. I hope I'm dead wrong on this. I am afraid that most professed Christians today are not Christians because they believe the wrong gospel. So you got a lot of work ahead of you. So, that's what we learn in this chapter. Jacob had a sad life, full of tragedy, heartbreak, and the one thing that always brought him back to God and comforting was God preaching to him this one gospel. Now, what's the point of this section? We're coming toward the end of this Toledoth, you know. Remember the book of uh, the old uh, Genesis is divided into ten Toledoths. Toledoth means the record of the outcome of such and such a person's life. And then after you have that word, the record of the outcome of life, it talks about uh, what that man mentioned contributed in the advance of the kingdom of God. Ten times it says that. Now we are just finishing the Toledoth of Isaac. And the greatest contribution that Isaac has made to the advance of the kingdom is Jacob. So most of this Toledoth is about Jacob. Now we're coming to the end. Isaac's about to die. Jacob's about to die. Now we're coming to the Toledoth of uh, Esau, which is very short. It's not worth much discussion. And then we come after that to the Toledoth of Jacob, which is not about Jacob. It's about Jacob's biggest contribution in the advance of the kingdom. And what's his biggest contribution? The 12 tribes of Israel. And so this chapter mentions, names them the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Because from here to the rest of the Old Testament, that's the focus of redemption history. That's the focus of the Old Testament from here on out. It's about these 12 sons of, of Jacob, 12 sons of Israel, that eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. And from one of those sons came the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole Toledoth, which began back in about chapter 25 and goes now to 35, you remember what its main theme is? That God distributes the blessings and promises of the covenant according to his sovereign will and not to the according to the decision of man. Emphasized in every chapter, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God's sovereign grace. Things are saved, people are saved because God decided to save them. Not because they asked God in his heart. Not because they made a decision to follow God. But people are saved because God decides. God makes the decision. And God alone determines how the benefits and blessings of his covenant are going to be distributed in people's lives. But now we're at the end of this Toledoth, and there's another point that it makes. Let's look at this chapter. What all ha what all's happening? Well, first of all, uh, you have Simeon and Levi. You have Dinah being raped. You have Simeon and Levi slaughtering all the men in the city with an uncontrollable anger. Have uh, I, uh, Jacob's beloved nurse and Rebecca's nurse in verse 8 die. And then you have in verse 16 his beloved wife, Rachel, dies in childbirth. Now, Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, two secondary wives, at least two. The Bible tells us that Jacob loved Rachel so much that he was willing to work 14 years of his life just to have her as his wife. He had Leah. Didn't love her anywhere near as much as he loved Jacob. By the way, the, the, the tomb of Rachel still stands in Israel. He loved her, cherished her, She dies in childbirth. He gives her a royal burial. Here's the sadness of this burial. She had a baby. She died in childbirth. The labor was so severe, verse 16. And the midwife says, don't fear, Rachel. You have another son. Verse 18, and it came about as her soul was departing. She was dying. She named her last little baby Benoni, which means the son of my grief and sorrow. Rachel was a very unhappy woman. Throughout her life, she experienced with sorrow and heartbreak. So as she gives birth to this last son, that's her last words. That's her testimony. That's the statement about the, the meaning of life. It's sorrow and grief and heart. Jacob, who loved her, would not agree to that name. 
even though she was dying, he would not agree to his wife's last wish. And so he named, in verse 18, he named her last son Benjamin. She wanted to have him named child of my grief. Jacob says we're going to name him Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. And the right hand was the place of honor. The son of my honor. Son who will carry out the purposes of the covenant. Verse 19, Rachel died. She was buried, and so in verse 20, Jacob set up a pillar over the grave, and the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Now, this particular story about the sadness of Rachel's life and death and the naming of her son, Benoni, the child of my grief, is something the church of God never got over. A thousand years later, there's still preachers preaching on the sadness of Rachel's death. I want you to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Thousand years later, they're still talking about this event. How sad it was. So, you know what chapter 31 of Jeremiah is about? Chapter 31 is the prophecy of the new covenant. When the Messiah would come and, and consummate all the previous covenants into the new covenant. In that context, Jeremiah is preaching. Now, Israel is about to be destroyed by the northern kingdom, uh, by the Assyrians. 721, destroyed. The southern kingdom of Judah, which comprised the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom lived only a couple centuries more, and then in 586, was destroyed by Babylon. So those were sad years. After all those years of being a, a nation, Israel destroyed the covenant people of God, the family of God that we read about throughout the Old Testament, dispersed all over the earth by the Assyrians. city of Jerusalem destroyed couple hundred years later. And all the population carried captivity into Babylon. Sad days. This is the covenant people of God. But they had apostatized. They've turned from God, and so God carried out his promises to them. So look at Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children, still after a thousand years. Rachel's weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So you can feel the pain and agony in Jeremiah's heart. He realizes the significance of the destruction of the northern and southern kingdoms. He said, Rachel is still weeping for her children. Why? She can't be comforted. She's inconsolable because all her children are gone. They're in Assyria. They're in Babylon. Such a bright future, such rich promises from the living God. And they're all gone. And a thousand years later, Rachel's still crying. 
because God punished his people. That's setting the stage for a messianic prophecy. So Jeremiah uses this crying of Rachel to present us with a great prophecy. It says in verse 16, Restrain your voice from weeping. Stop crying, Rachel. Restrain your eyes from tears. Be comforted in this. You haven't been comforted in a thousand years. Be comforted in this. Your work shall be rewarded. And they shall return from the land of the enemy. And there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall return to their own territory. There's going to be a Messiah, Rachel. You overlook this. You let your, your, your grief break you completely because of unbelief. Stop crying for Israel. Stop, stop crying. They've got a great future ahead of them with the coming of the Messiah. And I'm going to restore them to their relationship with me, put them back in the land that I promised them where they'll live under my blessings and under my favor. Stop crying. So there's a great messianic promise there. You look at the future. You look at all of the things that have happened and are happening and could happen in the future. See wars, the destruction of economies, the unraveling of nations, the de-Christianization of nations, the criminalization of Christianity, People persecuted for Christ as martyrs by the thousands all over the world. Don't cry, Rachel. I'm bringing them all home. I'm bringing a Messiah. That will end all the wars and the scattering and persecuting of my people. You know the story of Rachel's reaping occurs in the New Testament? Matthew 2, Matthew chapter 2. This is Messiah's here now. And what has just happened? Jesus has just been born. Verse 16, Herod got word of it. I remember who Herod was. He was an Edomite. That is, he was a descendant of Esau, whom God hated. So you got somebody whom God hates sitting on the throne here in the second chapter of Matthew. Then, verse 16, when Herod saw that he had been tricked uh, the, and the three wise men, Herod went to them and told, asked them, where, where is this Christ? Where is this little Hebrew baby that's supposed to be the Messiah and the King of Kings? And the three wise men tricked him, told him the wrong place in an effort to protect this little baby. Verse 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male babies, children, who were in Bethlehem in all its environs from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. 
So Herod's scared now that this little Hebrew baby is going to be a threat to the Roman Empire and to him. And so that baby's got to be killed. Of course, it was Jesus. So he didn't know exactly where the baby was and who he was. So Herod passed the law that all little male boys, all little boys, two years and younger, all Hebrew male boys, males, babies are to be killed. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its environments from two years and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet, was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. You know who all those thousands of little babies were? The first martyrs of the Christian church. First people in the world to have their blood shed by tyrannical government. Whenever the New Testament quotes an Old Testament passage, it always intends for you to bring the whole context of that passage into the New Testament. So what it's saying here is, you can hear terrible weeping and crying all over uh, Palestine in this first century with the slaughter of the innocents, just like when Rachel was unconsolable in her own death. <clears throat> Just like Jeremiah told Rachel, stop crying. I'm going to bring my people back. So you bring that promise into the New Testament. Rachel's crying. Thousands of her children are dead. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What Herod and the Roman didn't realize, that was the stupidest thing he could have done. Killing all those Hebrew babies. Making martyrs out of them. And from that day to this, the church has grown in an accelerated fashion. Every now and then there's a time of martyrdom and every time there's a time of martyrdom there's a massive growth of the church. The more they kill us, the more we grow. The more they fed people to the lions in the first century, the more the Christian church grew. So that by 70 A.D., there were over a million Christians in the Roman Empire. And verse 19, but Herod was dead. Church continued to grow. Herod died. That's it. Rachel, don't cry anymore. Future belongs to Christ and his church. It's the way you're to view the future of this country. Don't worry. You don't become a pessimist. You don't become a defeatist. Cry, of course. But it's not a crying like the unbeliever cries. Because you know the future of this country belongs to us.
One last thing. Not one last thing. Let's go to uh, verse 21 of chapter 35 in Genesis. Israel joined, journeyed on, and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. And it came about while Israel was dwelling in that land that Reuben, his oldest son, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's secondary wife. Israel, his father, heard of it. Another blow. His beloved wife has just died. His beloved nursemaid had just died. Now his oldest son commits incest with Jacob's concubine. There were 12 sons of Jacob. Sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, then Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maid, Dan and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpha, Leah's maid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Pandanaram. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And of ripe age and his sons Esau and Jacob buried with him. The last thing. Jacob saw in his covenant family. It was his oldest son sleeping with his wife. Now, what do we learn from that? Why is that in the Bible? I don't like to mention it, but why is it in the Bible? To teach us that neither sin nor death can overturn the covenant promises of God. Neither the worst of sins of man sleeping with his father's wife, neither the worst of sins nor the most tragic of situations, Rachel's death, and keep God from accomplishing his purposes and fulfilling every promise that he's made to us. So no no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter what happens in this country, nothing has the power to overturn the covenant of God, the promises of God, the one and only gospel of God. Read this story about Reuben committing incest with his father's wife. Don't say, well, I'm glad that's in the Bible because that means I'm going to get to heaven. I mean, I commit all kinds of sins in my life. So apparently God's not that concerned about how sinful we are. Don't you dare think like that. You read about Reuben. Say, Lord, this guy was a patriarch. If he's capable of this, what am I capable of? God protect me from the temptations of this world we so easily fall into. Help me to stand steadfastly in faith and faithfulness 
and not cave in like Reuben. Their sin nor death and overturn the promise. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for giving us faith to believe it. Help us not to believe any other counterfeit gospels. And as we live this world, in this world, we face tragedies. Be comforted as Jacob was comforted by the word of God. As we live in this Canaanite culture, help us understand that the future belongs to us. It does not belong to the Canaanites. As we have to rub shoulders with them every day, we not worship their gods, live their lives, be tempted by their sins. For sake. Amen.